Culture Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about military fiction and interviewing author Brian McClellan. But first, what are you reading, Bria? Okay, so I just got back from a trip, and you know when I'm on a plane, I love to read a book set in space. Yes. So, because I like to feel like I'm there, you know, like I'm in space. It's like this, it's it's a very fun, it's a 3D experience. What do you call it? 4D. 4D what are you experiencing? Experience. Experiential. Um, so I picked up this book that I've been wanting to read called Nigerians in Space, thinking, this is going to be cool. It's not about Nigerians. They're going to be in space. They're not in space in this book at oh, all. No. <laughs> what a jip. Um, it is. I would say it was a jip, except that I loved the book. Okay, well, it enough. was fantastic. It's um sort of a thriller crime book that takes place uh, surrounding like with three different people, and um yeah, it's fantastic. The author I'm gonna butcher the name is um Deji Bryce Alukatun, I think. Um, sorry, you're welcome to call me. Brea, anytime you want, because <laughs> I probably mispronounced that. But yeah, I actually, it was really great. I think it's the first in a series, um, and I'm definitely going to pick up the other ones. It's just this really fun thriller. It has to do with scientists and people trying to get to space, but there's no actual space travel within the book. Despite the being confused by the title, I did really enjoy it. What are you reading, Mallory? <laughs> uh, I'm listening to the audiobook of a, uh, Tomorrow Will Be Different by Sarah McBride. Uh, and it's a memoir of so Sarah McBride is a trans woman and she uh, worked in the Obama administration and it's like a um, memoir of her life like coming out as a trans woman work, but also working in the White House working in gov- working in government trying to like her her struggle to like get more equal rights and more protections under the law for trans people and it is so good it is incredible it's uh, also very sad trigger warnings for sadness because uh, she like she meets her husband who's a trans man and he ends up dying of cancer oh, no. at like 26 or something crazy like very very young spoiler so it's like oh it, but you, like you know that going into it, it like right also in. it's her real life so yeah so it's, it's not a spoiler. so yeah uh but it's really they were like they were so in love with each other so it's just like so sad Aww. but it's, it's so well written and i love it so much i totally totally recommend it that's awesome so we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback claire writes in i have a suggestion for guilt-free reading relatively speaking as someone who has many many plates spinning at the time i found the most helpful thing is for me to accept i won't get anything done after a certain time just because i don't do my best work after that time for me, I'm not a night owl, so I've set a cutoff time of about 7 or 7.30 p.m. After that, my partner and I can do things that we would otherwise feel guilty about, like reading or playing video games. This really helps because after 7, the quality of my work really tanks, and setting this cutoff time helps me keep helps keep me sane and the quality of my work high. Ugh, as a person who also feels like they have to work all the time because I don't have, like, a real boss, I feel like that is a big problem. You're this a real is boss. really good. To, well, you're except real... that I'm my own boss. But, yeah. you know, when you're like, when does my work day end? Yeah, like, I kind never. of... There's part of me that, like, romanticizes when I waited tables, and I'm like, I know when that day ended. It was when I counted all my tips and clocked out. And, like, now yeah. I'm like, no, but I could still be working right now and writing and doing the things I should be doing. Being a writer means that you have homework permanently. Per- forever. forever. But I like this that you set up, like, a very specific schedule. Yeah. That's, that's good. Joe writes in and says, After listening to your indie bookstore episode, I wanted to give a shout-out to Renaissance Books, which is located inside of the Milwaukee Airport. Very cool. I really enjoyed it whenever I passed through there, and it makes me realize how perfect a large, interesting bookstore is for an airport and how frustrating it is for 
it, it is that most bookstores, he put that in quotes, are basically small convenience stores with a few shelves of current bestsellers. I really wish this was a thing everywhere as being, being basically trapped for two hours surrounded by stores, but without anything actually cool to browse is miserable. That is really cool. I've never been to the Milwaukee Airport. I have never been to the Milwaukee Airport, but I, I think it's in San Francisco has Compass Books in their airport, and it is such a great bookstore, and it mm. totally makes... Because I'm one of the people who likes to get to the airport like three days early, yes. just in case. <laughs> I can see you doing so, it. I oh, always- my God. We should talk about what happened to us both at the airport. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. So... We've so, both been traveling. We we had the most on-brand us experience ever. So you texted me. And I said that I got stopped at TSA for too many snacks. What and happened? They, they, got, they stopped me for too many snacks. They took out all my snacks and they like wanded them. And like, because I guess there were like crumbs or something in there. I don't know. But it was too They're many. like, ma'am, it was why, literally do, like, why do you have so many melted bars of chocolate It was all literally like I had like four chocolate bars. And I was like, I'm not explaining this. Like, I'm not going to like give an excuse. Live I just truth, was like, Bria. I was just like. Like, yeah, go ahead, wand it. There's nothing in there. And then you wand texted my me snacks. back. You texted me back. And then I t- so I texted you immediately back. So we were, so I also just was traveling. Me and Alan went to, we went to Georgia and we went to the East Coast. We were gone for like three weeks. So, you know, my traveling tip is I always keep books. And also, Alan brings a shitload of books when we travel. So we literally had our carry on was just books. <laughs> and we're, get, we're like all tired and going to the airport and we're going through security. <laughs> And they take the bag off to the side. And I was like, oh, my God, what are they doing with our carry-on? And they opened it up and they were like, is this all books? And we were like, yeah. <laughs> like, we, we're going to have to open up. They had to open them all up and go through what? all of what them. What did they think was in them? Snacks. Besides words. Snacks. Yes. <laughs> Secret snacks they thought you would, like, cut out the middle and put cocaine in them. <laughs> I guess it was so, but it was like, I almost was like, guys, you don't want to do this because it took them so long. Oh, we brought like so 20 annoying. books with us. Oh, that's so, that would, it makes me, I get so angry when I'm at TSA, so. Oh, yeah. So we were both, but we were both laughing because we were like, oh my God, this is the most on-brand we've ever been when that, we're traveling. That really we both is got very stopped. You for snacks and me for too many books. It's really true. Um, By the way, I will say this about airport bookstores is that I was in the London Heathrow Airport and they had a section in one of their bookstores. It was like books popular in this airport. And I was like, this airport is so big that these are the bestsellers of London Heathrow. That's Which hilarious. was like not the books, not like, I mean, it was like kind of book airporty books, but like not exactly. I should have taken a photo. Anyway, that was weird. But I feel like that's a weird sample size because you're stuck with the books. You have no other, no other choice. It's really true. It was like it was like a random. It was a bookstore, but like yeah, I just thought that was really funny. Uh, so Jack writes in. I absolutely agree that people do judge books simply by looking at the cover. I'm guilty of that from time to time. However, I feel like there's a, another factor that makes the whole concept of judging b- books by their covers more dot 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 perverted. Ooh. <laughs> I love I, I love Jack already. <laughs> That aspect is touch or texture. When I, I when I definitely get lost in the texture of a wonderful fabric-covered book from the early 20th century, particularly due to the smells, some books nowadays have these rubberized or vinyl covers that feel luxurious. I think one of my friends described these covers as even delicious, though I would not ind- endorse consuming them. Jack, Wait. this is, by the way, called a matte finish. Which one? The vinyl covers? The, no, the rubbery, like, soft one. 
But I, you know what? I totally understand this. When I get a book that has like that soft matte cover, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man. You like to like you like to rub on that soft matte cover? I don't actually because I'm I have really bad anxiety, so my hands are always sweaty. And they, leave, they leave <laughs> they <laughs> leave little foot they leave little uh, footprints. Oh my gosh, uh, fingerprints all over the matte cover. So, so you prefer what like a paper mat? Yeah. Getting it wet? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> this is a whole episode. So the whole to- we'll we'll do a whole episode on why I'm not allowed to touch nice books. So, guys, our birthday's coming up. Our our 50th birthday. We're very old. We're yeah. almost one year old. We're almost one. Why don't, I don't know why we're doing it on 50th and not one 52? year. But let's do 50th. We've already well, we, we we made a, the choice. We took a week off for Christmas. That's true. Well, whatever. Either way, we're doing it on our 50th. And what are we doing, Mallory? So we're doing a special episode where you guys can write in, email us questions, and we're going to answer them. Mm-hmm. It's not totally AMA. I don't want to answer any weird, perverted questions. Sorry, guys. What do you sleep in, Mallory? <laughs> black t-shirt, black pants? <laughs> yeah. How did you know? I don't know. I feel like I've seen you in your pajamas. Oh, yeah. You probably have. <laughs> it's always black clothes. But, yeah, you want if you guys want to ask us questions like, you know, specific books that you want to know, like questions about our reading life, anything that we haven't answered on the show or that you're curious about, we're going to – it's a special episode just for you guys. And we'll do recommendations, too. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. send – like, send email us and send us – um you know, your your questions, your recommendation requests, and just, like, put in the headline for the 50th episode just so we, we know it's for that and not just for, like, a regular reader problem segment. And we also had a really great Maximum Fun Drive, thanks to all of you. It was, like, amazing. Yeah, you guys and are fantastic. we said that if we reached a certain number of of donators, of fans, of what do you call them? Members. Members. Then, then we would, if we reached 300, is that what the number was? 500. Great. Uh, <laughs> which we blew past. Then. Which we blew past. Uh, then we would do a live stream book club, and we are, and we want to announce the book yes. what, that we're going to do. This is on June 7th. Yes. We're going to do a live live stream. We're gonna, we'll are gonna send out the link on all of our social media. Um, and if you don't have social media, but you still want to be included, you just email us and I'll send you the link. That's it's going to be publicly accessible to everybody. You're not going to have to pay for anything. You're not going to have to sign up for anything. It's not going to be on Twitch, so you're not going to have to get an account for something. Uh, but we're going to read Circe by Madeline Miller. Which is very exciting. We know we're breaking one of our book club rules. Yes. Which is that it's supposed to be an older book, but we're both really excited to read this book. And, and the so most people voted people for it. In the Facebook group. So we're super excited to read it. I've heard it's amazing. I'm yeah. Guys, I'm going to wait for See if I can get it from the library. Otherwise, I'm going to read this thing at the last minute. So we'll see how it goes. So before we talk about military fiction, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is supported in part by Care.com, the easy and reliable way to find care for everyone in the family when and where you need it. Yeah, you can use this for all sorts of things. Anything from a dog walker, what if you need someone to return a dress for you across town? What if you need someone to stay up with your loved one in the hospital? I've needed someone to do that. That is something you could possibly need, and Care.com can help you with that. Care.com is the world's largest digital marketplace for finding and managing family care. At Care.com, you can find care for everyone in the family, whether you need childcare while you're at work or need to line up a sitter for a special kid-free date night. Care.com is there for you. You can also find housekeepers, dog walkers, tutors, errand runners, and senior care. To save 30% off of a Care.com premium membership, visit care.com slash glasses when you subscribe. That's care.com slash glasses for 30% off a premium membership. 
Is there a dog in a car at a bar on the street? Yay! I'm Allegra Ringo, a small dog owner. My dog Pistachio howls when she's excited. And I'm Renee Colvert, a big dog owner. My dog Tugboat tips over when he's sleepy. And we co-host a podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog that airs every Tuesday. We bring you all things dog. Yes, dog news, dog tech, dogs we met this week. We also have pretty famous guests on butt legs. We're not going to let them talk about their projects. No. Just want to hear about those dogs. We don't want to hear about your stuff, only your dogs. So join us every Tuesday on Max Fun. This week, it's all about military fiction. You're probably thinking about your dad's pile of old Tom Clancy books that are in a cardboard box in your garage, right? Sure. Yes, that is one type of military fiction, but it's a very wide genre and a lot wider than you think. Military fiction, a.k.a. war novels, it's a genre where most of the action takes place in battle or where the characters are in preparation for or being affected by the war. Because of this, a lot of military fiction books are historical fiction as well. Okay, so a little bit about the history of war novels. The origin is in of these books is in epic poetry from classical or medieval periods like the Iliad or Beowulf. Um... You can even call the Book of Revelation. People call this a form of military fiction because it's about the Battle of the Apocalypse. That's in the Bible, right? Correct. That is oh, in the. Wow. It's the last book. It's how we're all going to die. Wait, <laughs> it's the last book of the Bible. Last book of the Bible, but the Bible is just one New book. Testament. Oh, oh, the Bible is really divided could... into like chapters, which we call books. I. I know, you've just, never been to a church. Mallory did, would just I sizzle just, up and explode the moment she walks into a I church. Know, I, I would just immediately, like, <laughs> burn up upon entry. I didn't know that. Yeah, they call the books the books of the Bible. So the book of Bible Genesis. chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many things make a lot of sense Revelation's right a great one, too. It's, like, about, there's, like, four horsemen who come, and they, they like, they all represent, like, war and plague and stuff. I just listened to Sean the Sean is looking at me like, maybe that's not right. I feel like it's right, though. Yeah, and they come in and they kill everybody. I just listened to that Iron Maiden song. That's about as close as I get. I feel like it's probably accurate. It's, I'm sure they were, they I were know, I get experts a, on the Bible. I get a lot of my historical facts from Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got in a car with... Uh, never mind, that's a long story. Anyway, this PA introduced me uh, in this movie I just did uh, to a band that plays... Um, metal music and it's all about various battles various sabaton war. that's right i yes. love them that's what it was yes wow i used to listen to them in high school it helped me prep for history tests anyway <laughs> that's crazy wow who knew that your two skills were naming the authors of books and, and, and metal bands and random metal that is metal a venn bands. diagram of me to a t <laughs> Okay, so the more realistic form of military fiction, the kind that we think of now, arose uh, in the 17th century. But still, they were more sort of satires of war. Um, and the super realistic stuff, the stuff we think of now, like War and Peace, Red Bag of, Badge of Courage, that was like 19th century stuff. Like, we didn't see that till much later. And of all of the wars, World War II, which I could have guessed, is the war that attracted the greatest number of novelists writing about it. I have this theory that men, when they each reach the age of 40, suddenly get a very large interest in World War II. Like, I feel like you it's your 40th birthday and someone knocks on your door and they're like, here, have 15 books about World War II and a couple of documentaries as well. And some ill-fitting pants. I don't know what happens. It's but a total, it's like a second puberty. You, like, start to grow ear hair and World War II interest. Sean, do you like World War II? You're not 40 yet. You do like it? You're Australian. Do you, is there as big of an interest in Australian? 
Your dad loves World War II. So was Australia involved in World War II? It it was. I have a degree. I have a master's degree in history. Just want to let you guys remind everyone of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I mean. Oh. Awful. <laughs> awful. How is this happening? To himself. Yeah. <laughs> do Do you guys like World War II books in Australia? Yeah. Yeah. We were We were part of the British you, Commonwealth. So. so you fought in World War II. Yeah. Oh. Fight with really big knives. <laughs> Bayonets. Or just large knives. They wrote on large the kitchen knives. I don't know why Australia is so funny to us. We had a we had a war we had a war against emus at one point. So you know we are pretty funny. Okay, good. I want to read. A, is there a book about it? A military that's fiction? That's not book? a not, That's not a bayonet. This is a bayonet. <laughs> that's all I know about Australia, guys. Now I'm just gonna keep going back to that one. I want, I'm gonna fight until we make that a t-shirt. Uh, war can definitely be a hard thing to read about, but military fiction is a great way to get different perspectives. So it's some war is something that many people experience different no matter age, different countries, time periods, genders, economic status, you name it. It affects everybody. So war books are written by everybody. It's not just Tom Clancy writing books about people punching submarines or whatever happens in those books. <laughs> there are a lot of military books written by women as well, and not just books like Gone with the Wind, No Shade to Gone with the Wind, but there are a lot of books written about the experience of being a female soldier. Uh, I totally recommend reading Cameron Hurley's essay, uh, We've Always Fought. It's about female warriors. I'm going to, I'll put a link in the show notes and it's amazing. Read her military fiction, but it's like, it's a great primer if that's something that you're interested in. Don't forget, there are military books set in a wonderful place called Space. <laughs> That's right. There's a whole military fiction, science fiction subgenre. Um, it's huge. There's also military fantasy. There's military romance. There's military thrillers. There's a lot of stuff set in war times. Um, Old Man's War by John Scalzi is quickly becoming a sci-fi military fiction classic. Uh, it's, it's an amazing book. I also loved All You Need Is Kill, which is uh, with that movie... Edge of Tomorrow is based on? Is that still called Edge of Tomorrow? It got named something else and I don't know. I feel like it was called Kill, Repeat, Kill or Repeat. <laughs> kill, repeat, repeat, Kill. Wake up tomorrow morning. It was kill like, somebody, wake up and do it again. Kill, That's what die, it's repeat. Something like that. Yeah. It got I changed never saw it. I like the DVD. Movie's actually not bad. I'm really real with you. It's, if there's no monsters in it. No, I'm no. It's not. about space. It's about space fighting space no, aliens. No, I know. But if there's no monsters in it, I probably am not going to see it. Listen, it's about fighting space aliens. It has Emily Blunt. Isn't that her name? Emily Blunt, and then also it's about uh, like you. What she, they wake up and like the world's been reset. It's a Groundhog Day situation set in space, set in the military. I hope that's how they pitched it. <laughs> they pitched it as a complicated title. Anyway, there's this book called All You Need Is Kill, which is what that movie is based on, and it's great. And it's a sci-fi book that also has this weird like Groundhog Day situation happening. So there's all sorts of military fiction books, and there's a lot in that book about um uh. Like war planning, God, I, we don't know anything about the military. What is it? War planning, you know, I don't know. like like strategy and stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of like strategy stuff. I feel like I learned stuff about war strategy just because I read so many science fiction books about. I wars. would trust you to lead a war, Bria. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. So, regardless of how you feel about war in the military, you can agree that it touches a lot of lives, and for that reason alone, it's worth giving a book a try, even if it's about a war against giant space creatures. So, Bria, what kind of war books do you like? Well, obviously, I like the sci-fi ones, but um, which I do enjoy, Aliens versus Humans. Um, but I did read a book I, a few years ago when I was prepping for a movie called Generation Kill by Evan Wright about soldiers who went to Iraq after 9-11. Uh, 
And it was amazing. It's like they're like these it was about people who were essentially my age, you know, going over and fighting and it was like these personal stories of them. It's great. I I am not usually drawn to like a World War Two. I wouldn't be drawn to like a World War Two book unless there's like some sort of fantastical element, probably. Um, but that one was really good and very real. And yeah, I mean, look, people have differing opinions about wars and our and any country, as I say, America, but any country's involvement. Obviously, you and I probably have very strong opinions about a lot of these. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're, these people are not people over yeah. there, and it doesn't mean they don't have stories that are interesting to be told. And a lot of them were very young, and that's what this book was about. Like these people were like listening to Marilyn Manson and like just like stuff where I'm like, oh right, like they're just me, but they're over there doing like yeah. these really scary like things and like beating their bodies up while doing it and having to kill people at the same time. It it was it's a really tough book to read, but I mean if you want to read that kind of book, I think it's a great one. What about you? Uh so besides Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut, which is probably one of my favorite war books. Because that one has like it's basically PTSD, yeah? Yeah, but well no, there's a mar- oh, the, the guy witnesses the Dresden bombing. Right. But the whole thing about Slaughterhouse Five is that it's told like non linearly. Yeah. And I read one time that that was because of the, it's supposed to mirror PTSD. Oh, wow. I, I don't know if that's what that, Kurt Vonnegut meant, but well, I, like I it. love I'm that keeping book. it. I think I'm going to just assume that because yeah, they, I like that so I, much. I don't know if that's actually true, but I, I mean, it's, it's a cool idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get really into books about like the collateral damage of war, like the way war ripples outward. Uh, There's a book called Girl at War by Sarah Novick. Uh, I, if I really want to get inside the soldier experience, I'll just, you know, I'll watch the last season of Blackadder. I don't know what that is. Uh, what is that? It is. Oh, a, what is it? Sean likes it too. Yeah. What? It's a war show. Uh, no. Well, one one season of it is. It's Black Hatter. It's um. You're saying Black Adder? Yes. Like the snake? Yes. Sounds like you're saying Black Hatter. Black Hatter. <laughs> like no, the Mad Hatter. But, but goes to war. <laughs> but it's a. Uh, bla- I mean, I can't believe I'm trying to explain the Black Adder. Um, who's the guy? What is his name? Yes, uh, it's Ro- It's Mr. Bean. It's Rowan Atkinson and Hugh, and Hugh Laurie, like before, way, like very young Hugh Laurie. But and they play these two characters. But every season is them in a different time period, and it's like they don't. The, the seasons don't relate to each other. So there's one like during medieval times, and they're but, always at war. No, oh. the the last season, the last one is they're in World War One or two. One of the World Wars. Hmm. Um, and it is so funny. Are they always British? Yes. Hmm. It's hilarious. Oh, it's, it's so, funny? It's so funny. Wow. Oh, it's like a British comedy. Yeah. This is why I haven't seen it. It's so good. Because I don't watch British comedies. I only, that's like really the only comedy that I like. Yeah, you, you guys and y'all's British comedies. Oh my God. I'm gonna make I don't care. get it. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I don't I'm, understand them. I like it enough for both of us. <laughs> I'm watching well, it's them like, like Black Adder and Black funny. Books are really the only two things I care about yeah. when it comes to comedy. <clears throat> So you can send your thoughts on military fiction or if you want to tell me about what your favorite episode of Blackadder is by emailing them to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And before we talk to military fantasy writer Brian McClellan, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, Rachel. Here's a message from your Discord book club friends. Congratulations on graduation. We all know how hard you have worked to achieve this goal. Good luck with the next chapter in your life. We cannot wait to hear all about the ass-kicking you do as you continue your education in L.A. And as from me and Bria, we also want to extend some congratulations to you, Rachel, and we hope that you kick lots of ass. Kick all the ass! Yay! Thank you so much to the over 28,000 members who joined or upgraded during the 2018 Max Fund Drive. 
and to all of our monthly members. You showed up in full force to help us reach our goal, and to show our appreciation, we're putting up this year's batch of Max Fun Drive exclusive enamel pins on sale for all $10 and up monthly members. And just like last year, we're giving all the profits to charity. For 2018, we're supporting the National Immigration Law Center. The sale will run from May 18 through May 28, so don't miss it. $10 and up monthly members will be receiving personalized code and instructions to purchase pins on May 17th. So keep your inbox open and notifications on. For more details, head over to MaximumFun.org pins. And to learn more about the National Immigration Law Center and support them directly, you can go to NILC.org. So here we are with author Brian McClellan. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Brian, what are you reading right now? Oh, I, I'm actually reading something called 1453, um, and it's about the final fall of Constantinople. Oh, wow. That's a lot it, of stuff. It's just like it's a nonfiction book. Yes, nonfiction. Um, I uh, I actually, you know, we wanted to talk about uh, military military fiction today, but I kind of read most of my inspiration comes from uh, real historical uh, military stuff, and uh, and that's kind of what I read these days. Uh, and uh, I actually listen to them mostly, um, and uh, and so so that's what I I've been re- listening to lately. So speaking of military fiction, can you tell us all about your books? Okay, yeah, yeah. So I I write something called the the Powder Mage trilogy, which is a finished trilogy that I I finished that off about two and a half years ago, um, and I'm currently in the middle of the sequel trilogy. So it's kind of its its own thing, but takes place in the world um, called uh, Gods of Blood and Powder, um, and it's flintlock fantasy, um, which I kind of explain to people as epic fantasy that takes place in a world that is more akin to our 17 and 1800s um you know very heavily influenced by the french revolution uh and you know kind of the early america um that kind of stuff um so my books are are basically they're kind of action and war driven um they're you know it's a mix of political and military kind of um excitement going on uh, that's kind of very heavy on the magic, uh, and the magic in my world is all based around um, gunpowder, uh, which you know that kind of makes the military very central to the story I'm telling. Um, and so you know these these powder mages can imbibe uh, gunpowder to help them uh, run faster, be stronger, uh, shoot across battlefields, um, and so they uh, so that that kind of they're kind of very central figures in every country that they're in uh, because of their kind of um, military background and because of all the conflicts going on inside the world. And, and my books follow these characters um, as they, you know, try to navigate the political landscape and the big uh, battles and their, you know, own personal relationships and all that sort of stuff. So how did you get into military fiction? Um, you know, I've, I've been a huge fan of military history since I was a little kid. Um, I mean, you could, you could even say, I don't know if it's stretching it or not, but you could say the Arthurian legends, which is like some of my earliest fanboyish stuff. Um, that's just kind of, that's very military history. Well, 
not history, you know, pseudo history, um, military pseudo history, uh, because, you know, it's all about these knights and, and their adventures and everything going on and the battles and their, you know, personal quests and things like that. And, um, and so I was, that was like some of my earliest things that I was really fanboyish on. Um, but, uh, but one of my first great love, uh, of a book was, um, Count of Monte Cristo. And I think I read the unabridged when I was like in sixth grade and I didn't understand most of it because I was 12, uh, but I loved it. And, um, and the Count of Monte Cristo and then one of my other favorite books, Les Mis, um, they're very, both very impacted by the Napoleonic Wars. Um, and, uh, and so I, so that kind of, those books drew me into that time period and that time period you can't talk about without talking about the rise of Napoleon and Waterloo and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I kind of very naturally became drawn into it. And what made you want to put magic, incorporate magic into your books? Um, you know, growing up, I was <laughs> growing up. I my favorite books were, like I said, Connor, My Cristo and Les Mis. But my favorite genre to read was epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I grew up, you know, with all the '80s and '90s epic fantasy that I could read, uh, and and so I I was reading that kind of stuff all the time. And and it was funny because I actually I had been wanting to I I've been wanting to be a writer since I was probably about sixteen or seventeen, uh, very seriously. And, um, and there was a point at which I had finished my, my latest book and gotten a whole bunch of rejections for it. It was obviously, it wasn't going to sell. Um, and, uh, and I was looking for a new book to write a new kind of setting and magic system and all that. And my, uh, and so I looked, I, I was kind of, I was looking through kind of what people are doing and what is interesting to me. And I, uh, and I stumbled across uh, Sharp's Rifles. Uh, actually, I stumbled across the TV series before I got to the books. Um, and my wife and I were watching that. And I was about halfway through the first episode. And I thought, holy crap, I want to do an epic fantasy novel set like just like Sharp's Rifles. Uh, and that kind of just went from there. And that's Promise of Blood, my first book. That's awesome. So is there a period of military history that you're super nerdy about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say the Napoleonic Wars probably is my biggest thing, but, uh, I've been reading a a bunch of books lately about the 1500s and the big conflict between kind of Christianity and Islam during that time. Uh, and it's fascinating. I mean, there's all sorts of stories that you read these stories and you think, holy crap, if this was in a fantasy book, nobody would believe it because it's so weird. Um, there's, there's this giant battle that took place in the Mediterranean, uh, big, uh, naval battle where they ran out of both, I think both sides ran out of gunpowder and they resorted to throwing fruit at each other. <laughs> um, and so you have these ships sinking. Um, it was the, the, I think the Christian fleet won. This was kind of the big battle. I don't remember the name of the battle, but it was the one that kind of ended the big conflict of the time. It's kind of the climax of a different book called um, Empires of the Sea, which is by the same guy that wrote this book about Constantinople that I'm reading. Um, and uh, and so you, these these ships are all sinking. Everything's on fire thousands and thousands of people are dying and 
it's just in this crazy melee they just are trying to not die and they run out of gunpowder and they start grabbing the cl- closest things to like throw and it's fruit and you just it's so horrifying that it becomes funny and then horrifying again yeah, and it's that kind of story that like totally <laughs> That's crazy. And Brian, so I actually have a question. We um doing this episode, we but neither of us read that much military fiction. If we were trying to get into it like as noobs, what would you what book would you suggest for us to like dip our toes in? Um, let's see. So military fiction. Um so there's lots of good stuff out there. Uh and there's and it and that, you know, military fiction is a very broad term yeah. that can, you know, kind of cover pretty much any genre uh you know from epic fantasy to thrillers and all that sort of stuff um so you know if you want historical military fiction uh bernard bernard carnwell um is amazing uh he's written tons of stuff um and uh let's see um so for epic fantasy i actually uh usually recommend people to somebody who's i kind of like i I guess you'd call him a colleague of mine. So Django Wexler um, came out with a flintlock epic fantasy um, about two months after Promise of Blood came out. Um, and his is called uh, The Thousand Names. And he, Django uh, and I write kind of similar things where we're doing that, um, where we're both writing in that time period equivalent, but in a secondary world. Uh, but Django focuses far more on the uh you know the troop movements and the battles the minutiae of the battles um and he's very good at it uh so i would recommend the thousand names by Django wexler awesome cool so brian do you tell us about your reading life do you have any like weird book quirks that you want to share with us (laughs) um so my weirdest book quirk uh is that if i'm reading a book and i'm kind of and I'm so, so enjoying it. Um, I'll skip to the end and read the last chapter and see if I like how it ends. Oh, wow. Um, and then, and then if, if the end seems to like end with a really good, uh, like emotional punch or, uh, you know, battle climax or something, then I'll kind of go, okay, yeah, I'll stick with this and I'll go back and finish reading it. Brian, it's really weird. Yeah. I love it. So is there a book that you like to gift to people? Um, there is. There's actually a book that I just gifted to my mother recently. Um, it's She was asking me about uh, historical fiction. Um, or not historical fiction. She was asking me about his, writing history. Um, so nonfiction. Um, so I gifted her a book called The Black Count by Tom uh, Rice, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, and it is the story of Alexander Dumas' father. Um, it's a real story about a black man in uh, revolutionary France and it is incredible. Um, he is so Alexandre Dumas, all the adventures he wrote about, they were influenced by the stories his father told him, um, when he was a child. And his father was this remarkable man who was an officer in the French military and got through the revolution. Uh, and, oh, it's so good. Uh, it's just one of my favorite things ever. So that, that is a book that 
it's historical, but the story is so, you know, like I was saying before, it's so unbelievable and interesting that you wouldn't believe it if it was, you know, fiction. Uh, but it's not. So you've got, a, when the listeners are hearing this right now, you've got a new book that just came out two days ago. You want to tell us about it and where people can find it to purchase it? Yes. So Wrath of Empire, it is the second book in the series that it's that it takes place within uh but it's the uh fourth or it's the fifth book in the uh powder mage universe um so sorry if that's a little confusing um but uh listeners they can comprehend it they'll get it (laughs) (laughs) oh good um so wrath of empire is basically the continuation of a story about a kind of a frontier nation um that is falling beneath a foreign empire um and uh all the people you know fighting in that giant battle uh and uh it's you know it, it's my best book so far to date um the previous be- best book was the one that comes right before it i like to think that i get better with each book um so uh which and the book that comes before it sends of empire is the first book in the series um and it is uh it's actually 299 right now Ooh. Uh, should be in the U.S. It should be two ninety nine. Uh, pretty much anywhere you can buy eBooks. So we will include a link to that in the show notes for listeners who want to get in on that sweet deal. Excellent. So, and Brian, where can we find you online? Uh, so you can find me at brianmcclellan dot com, uh, and uh, on Twitter, I kind of hang out on Twitter. I you know talk about my books and I post pictures of my cat uh, at uh, brianttmcclellan dot com. And uh, I think Facebook is just Brian dot McClellan, something like that. We'll find it. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now it's time to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. Mike writes in, I've got a little reading problem. I keep a... (laughs) Seems like a song. I I usually say that. (laughs) Like song lyrics. I've got a little reading problem. This little reading problem of mine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's a church song. Is it? This little light of mine. Yeah. Is the light Jesus? The light is... uh, Is it Jesus? I don't think so. (laughs) I think it's like like your... Is it your love your for spirituality? Je- your love for Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. what it is. That it's makes sense. For Jesus. Slowly but surely, guys, through every episode of the show, I'm going to learn more about the, the, oh, the Christian we faith. Oh, do an episode on the Bible. Valerie has to write it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You guys don't even want to know. And Valerie's my- eyes just, like, went huge because she was, like, was so scared of the idea of having to do I'll that. I'll just make guys, up. Guys, we're going to do it. I'm gonna we're going to make it happen. Make up. Uh, what happens in the Bible will be the, the the story of God told by Mallory. It's not about the book of Mallory. <laughs> That's what you could do. The book of Mallory, and it'll be it will make no sense and have no relationship with the actual Bible. Anyway, so I keep so Mike, Mike says I keep a reading list of books I want to read. Sometimes these books I've seen at the bookstore but haven't bought yet. Some I actually own but are stacked next to my bed. And some books come in from re- reviews online or via podcasts. The problem is, what should I do with new entries? When I hear about a new book, it usually feels more exciting than what's already on my list, and it often gets put to the top. But I add books faster than I can read them, so books get pushed lower and lower until they're so far down I might as well forget about it. Is the best way to just be rigid about adding new books to the bottom of the list and work through it in order? That doesn't exactly sound like fun. Sometimes I'll pick books out of the middle if they speak to me at a particular moment. What if a book sits on your list for too long? Should they get culled if they get stale on the list? This sounds like a first world, overly obsessive problem, but do you have any advice on managing a reading list? Bria, what should he do? 
Oh, man. We all have, this is a TBR question, which we, I feel like we get a lot of these kinds of TBR questions. Um, I have this weird bolt, like book guilt thing about it where if I see the one that's been on the bottom of my list for a long time, I'm like, I feel like maybe that book's like mad at me or like a little sad. It hasn't been read yet. Like I like start to like anthropomorphize the book and I'm like, oh, it's just been waiting for me and now it's little feelings are hurt. I actually heard a story Will Ferrell was on Oprah, and he was talking about how he gets sad about his clothes. This was years ago. About his clothes, and so he just wears all of them in order because he doesn't. He feels bad for the clothes that don't get worn, so he just like that goes makes through me in weirdly order. Happy. So this is kind of the same thing. Anyway, just like Will Ferrell, not like Will Ferrell, and not like me. I don't think you need to feel guilty about the books that you haven't read. Um, I will say that my method for this is that I do add new books to my queue all the time or my, my wish list at the library. And I try to pick one every week when I'm, like, pulling a book to read. I pick one from the bottom of the list and one from the top of the list. That means the ones in the middle kind of get, like, left out, but I I try to, like, go to the bottom, go to the top. If the one in the bottom has been there for a long time and I'm, like, not excited to read it, then I just get rid of it. So if it's been there for a second, you're not going to read that book. Don't read it. I'm okay with you getting excited about new books because I'm also excited about new books, and after they've been out for, like, five years and they've been on my list for five years I'm like well I don't really I obviously don't care about that book enough or else I would have read it right when it came out because there's a lot of books that I read you know right when they come out because I'm so excited about them so I think that Mike needs to take away the pressure but I would say if you want to try a a method do bottom of the list top of the list at the same time you know pull pull a new one and then pull a new one if you look at that old one a couple times and you're like I'm just not into this one get rid of it you don't need that book anymore what do you think Mallory? Uh, So this is why I like to live inside a giant walk-in TBR list. When I hear about a book that I want to read, it either gets put on my to-buy list or I put a hole on the audiobook at the library. And the library books are easy because I just listen to them as they become available. But the other books have to go through a process. And if I end up buying them and I only buy books if I don't have a lot of unread books in that genre or by that author, then they get shelves. And honestly, I don't really think about what I'm going to read next Mike, I think you should just manage your TBR just like by being in the moment. When you finish one book, just say, like, what do I feel like reading now? Like, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Uh, You might miss a new release, and that's okay. You can get it in paperback. And if you feel like you own too many stale books, go through them. Maybe seeing them again will reignite some excitement. And I, I think you should just replace your TBR managing list with some zen. Like, just read what speaks to you. Use a randomizer if you need to. I mean, the only exception to this is when you're really excited for a book and then drop everything and read it. Like, like life is too short. I got an arc of the new Paul Tremblay book, and I actually put down the book that I was reading and dove right in, and I don't regret a thing. Yeah, same thing. Like, if I'm reading a book and I'm like, I get a brand new book from the library suddenly that I've been wanting to read, then I'm like, oh, fuck this book I'm reading. I'll, I mean, I'll come back to it later. Yeah. But I think the thing is, and I understand this, is that I do feel weirdly guilty about those books that have been there a while, but I do think... Mike, that if you were inspired by those books, you would have already read them. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, the things in your life, get rid of the things that you're not making you happy. So if the new books make you happier, go with a new one. Yeah. Don't feel bad about that. Harness that excitement. Fuck it. Life's too short. So if you want to send us, uh, if you want us to solve your reader problem, send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And And just to remind you, we're doing this 50th episode, so make sure if you want us to answer stuff for the 50th episode, put that in the the headline. Headline? Subject. Subject. (laughs) <laughs> and if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's really great for us and helps us reach more readers. We just hit 300 reviews on iTunes, Woo! which is amazing. Oh, my God. It's so exciting. And actually, it really does help us. It helps us to reach more readers. It also helps us to sell ads, which is really important for us to continue doing the show. Yeah, seriously. I know 
you know, everyone listens to podcasts and know like it's you have to take time out of your day. But if you guys are looking for a way to support us that doesn't involve money, honest to God, it helps us so. I, I love when I say that because I don't believe in God. <laughs> honest to God, we've established that on this episode. All right, we've established your non-belief in God. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to cats, it is. It helps us out so much. It helps us do the show. It helps us like having more reviews puts us higher in different algorithms. And it helps us get cooler guests because then we can be like, hey, we this many people listen every week, and we have this many reviews. It takes. Let me just explain to you how to do it on your phone really fast. You yeah. actually have to search for us on yeah. your phone and then go to it uh, there in, in the podcast app on iTunes. Yeah, you have to go to it in the podcast app on iTunes. But yes. you have to search for us to do it. You can't just like go to it from our page. I know. So thing, I, we, guys, weird. we know that it's a pain in the ass, but we really, really appreciate it. And it makes a huge difference for us. And Reading Glasses is pleased to offer interactive transcripts of the show through Greta. Go to G-R-E-T-T-A dot com slash reading underscore glasses to read and turn your favorite reading glasses moments into clips that you can share out on social media. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Reading G Podcast, on Instagram at Reading Glasses Podcast, on Litzy at Reading Glasses. And you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag Reading Glasses Podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks, thanks for, for reading. reading. The fact remains... Full stories are as rare as honesty, precious as diamonds. If you are lucky enough to uncover one, a full story will sit on your brain like lead. They are difficult. They are long-winded. They are epic. They are like the stories God tells, full of impossibly particular information. You don't find them in the dictionary. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.